Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. Well, I'm so excited that you are watching today because you're in for a treat. Whenever I began to plan this series out, when shame moves out, I knew there was someone that we all had to absolutely hear from in this series because of what I've seen and observed in her life on this topic of shame. And so Minnie Lee, who is our administrative director here at Epic Church, I am thrilled um, that the story that I know so much about that our entire community is getting to hear today. So welcome. We're so looking forward to what you're going to teach us about this significant topic. Thank you, Ben. As nervous as I am right now, I'm also very expectant about what God will do. He's done so much in my life, but I'm not speaking out of a place of uh, having arrived. I am going to share with you as somebody who's still learning and who still needs God every day to uh, renew me and, and, and rescue me from shame. So yeah, I'll get started. Uh, let me start by presenting two pretty well-known Bible verses. These two verses, although I think a lot of people like them, but to be honest, they weren't my favorite. In fact, the, every time I read them, I felt more of a challenge and question, I had a lot of questions more than conviction. The first one is Psalm 139, 14, where it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And as you know, many teachers use this verse to remind us all that we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. But me, I'm reading it, I'm going, but isn't this about David after all? I mean, he is the king of Israel. He's a mighty warrior. He like, writes poems and he also can play the harp and like the evil spirit is, goes away. I mean, he's like a true Renaissance man, you know, but me, I'm not so sure. The second verse is Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, if you read chapter 7 that precedes it, you know, this is like the punchlines, like, therefore, there's no condemnation. And, you know, I go to conferences and somebody says this and people are like, yeah, and I'm just like, yeah, that sounds nice. But deep inside, I was like, wow, I wonder what that's like, because something in me still feels condemned. I'm really good at criticizing myself after all. So does anybody else feel that way? When you read these verses, does these verses come true for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I've known these verses a long time. I'm sure all of us who have known them many or we are just learning them today, like we want to believe that they're true, but wanting to believe that they're true and believing that those things are true, like that, that's a separate theme. Uh, but because you're teaching this truth today and you talk about how things used to be, I'm assuming um, you got to a place where you began to at least somewhat believe these scriptures you've presented to us. Uh, yes. I mean, definitely I feel differently about them now. And I mean, that's like the point of the message. So we could be done right now and go home. 
<laughs> but um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I think what's really interesting was that until around 2016, which is quite recent, I was um, like very low in my shame awareness, mm -hmm. if that's a term. Uh, what I mean by that is that I, I'm sure I had like behaviors and thoughts that came out of shame, but I didn't know how to relate to that. I, I didn't see that as a thing. Um, and I think until then, I was really focused on just keeping up an image. Like, so for, for somebody who's looking at me, one might think, okay, Minnie's pretty successful. She looks pretty confident. Um, yeah, I mean, she's well-educated. Yeah, but I think deep inside, I was probably trying to appear that way. And as long as I appeared that way, I thought I was doing well with my life. So what happened in 2016 that began this process? Yeah, so I decided to see a Christian counselor because I was struggling a lot. I couldn't even pinpoint why or on, or on what. I just started feeling less confident or less comfortable with who I am. And the things I used to be pretty good at, or at least I thought I was pretty good at, I was fumbling and I was just struggling. Uh, prime example was public speaking. I mean... In late 2015, uh, that's a little after I started working as staff at Epic, and um, I had my first opportunity to be on stage on a Sunday doing announcements, and I froze up. I, I was saying things, but I didn't know what I was saying. I was going, you know, back and forth. I was a mess, a hot mess, and I'm sure a lot of people who are watching probably remember that and I remember the encouragements people gave me they're like okay but oh man I did not feel okay and I oh I felt so ashamed and I remember the first session with uh, the counselor and she asked me hey so who are you who is Minnie and you know I was ready to speak so I like opened my mouth and then I couldn't say a single word and I was in shock and I just like felt this, yeah, overwhelming like shame coming over me. And that's when, yeah, the counselor brought up the subject subject of shame and we started doing a deep dive. Wow. Well, over the life of this series already, some people are just becoming aware of our shame. Some of us are. And um, we're not sure what to do with it. Okay, now we're finally naming it. But what does that even mean to do a deep dive on the topic of shame and especially how shame affects each of us individually. How did you do that deep dive personally? Yeah. So you know what, how Jesus says a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So the first thing I guess I had to look at was, well, what are my fruits? What is my life showing here? And what are some of the symptoms? And um, as I look back, there were four main things. Uh, one was um, just being comfortable in isolation and hiding. So how that manifested in my life was uh, when I was doing well in life and I was feeling well, like I would be very social, I'm out there. And then when I'm not, I would just disappear. Like I don't show up to things. I don't tell anybody because all I wanted people to see was just that I was doing well. 
And related to that, I was, yeah, I, I never really asked help to other people. I, I, and I was terrible at receiving help. And I think back then I used to say, oh, it's because I'm independent. It's because I'm self-sufficient. That was just a facade. I think the real me inside probably felt like, well, who would want to help me? Who would want to be here for me? I mean, yeah, I may have thought I never really deserved it. And then, yeah, perfectionism. I know we talked about this quite a bit through this series, but yeah, perfectionism was controlling my life, my relationships, my work. And the primary ways that showed in my life was, number one, I was very critical about myself, and therefore I was critical of, of like over others, and probably silently. Uh, and I think it was just really making me like physically sick at times because I was trying to meet uh, a standard that I could never attain. Uh, and the second way it manifested in me was I silenced myself a lot. For instance, in public or at work, uh, I would obsess about making sure I said everything correctly. Next thing you know, the meeting's over and I haven't said a word. <laughs> and I was wondering, so weird why can't i speak what i'm thinking and because i also was such a perfectionist about like how i appear physically um yeah my port my stewardship was really poor uh for instance yeah i needed to have all the things all the clothes and have all the makeup everything i needed to look perfect not only like just feel good about myself nothing wrong with that i was like hey, I want to make sure I stand out. I look the best and feel the best. And, oh, it was just tiring. Mm. And, yeah, if I look back, I'm like, wow, I could have saved a lot of money by not spending all, all, you know, on, on clothes and shoes mm. and things like that. Um, so, overall, I was taking, like, every good thing into an extreme. The question is why? Yeah, so every behind every fruit, right, there are inputs. Behind every symptoms, there are sources. So, we started thinking about, well, what are, the, what are the sources? Where is this all coming from? And it started from some obvious things, very like, very uh, easy to remember childhood um, recollections. Uh, growing up, I frequently heard these comments. Hey, you're pretty big for a Korean girl. You shouldn't gain any more weight. You know, you'd be a lot prettier if you had those double eyelids. All the Asian women said, amen. So good. I don't even know what that means, but I'm with you. <laughs> well, yeah, and then there was a lot of cultural influence. I grew up in a very traditional Korean family that wanted to preserve that. Um, no matter where we lived, we lived in the States and Korea. And like one thing was certain, like we needed to kind of keep that tradition. Yeah, so some things I heard, hey, hey you're just a girl. Like, what do you know? Apparently, I used to be pretty opinion opinionated and I could say a few things. But yeah, I was discouraged from that. Uh, I would hear sometimes, hey, you're too ambitious for a girl. Like you wouldn't out, you shouldn't outdo your brothers. Or sometimes I would hear, well, where did you learn to think that way? We never taught you that. Oh, don't embarrass us. And lastly, um, yeah, this is something that is common in the Asian culture. And it's it's like okay as long as it's just a saying, but it gets really, really surprising when it actually happens is uh, if you don't do what we tell you, we'll disown you. And 
just like kind of what I just said, like as the work got deeper, like things got a little bit more serious and heavy. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to keep going. Um, yeah. And, and from those influences, I, I realized that I have the shame of being a bad daughter, a bad, disobedient daughter. Although I'm not like a great daughter, but I'm not a perfect daughter. But yeah, just living under that kind of shame culture, mm -hmm. I think, um, put a lot of pressure on myself to um, make things right if our family relationship was tumultuous. Um, I, you know, I would place the blame all on myself and going, I need to do better to make everything right. And yeah, um, it's been difficult, but I, God has been, you know, letting me know that, hey, it's not all on me. And next thing was singleness. I mean, this could be its own topic. <laughs> this Go could ahead. be its own talk. But I think, you know, also, you know, a lot of the, our, our culture tells us like, hey, yeah, you need to be married and you're going to be happy only if you're married. Even like from my cultural background, it was even like another level of, oh, if you're not married by this age, oh, you'll be worthless or like you'll be miserable. Uh, so in my late 20s and 30s, I was feeling that, but I didn't want to like share that with anybody, anybody. So I would always just be like, I'm fine. Yeah, singleness is fine. It doesn't matter. But deep inside, I'm just like, oh, I really don't want to be single anymore. As if it's some, like some status that I need to like graduate from or something. And then as I got older, late 30s, and I'm in my 40s, oof, like, wow, I don't know what to do with this. And, you know, there are comments that you hear like, hey, how are you still single? I'm like, I don't know. I think that's a compliment. <laughs> um, or like, yeah, don't you want to get married? I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's never about the desire or the sure. lack thereof. And then kind of like, I don't know, in parallel with that over the past seven, eight years, I was getting a sick a lot. Like I, I had like, I've had these physical ailments, like one thing after another. And what was really hard for me was uh, that my, my life had to change. Like I had to make adjustments. So mm -hmm. my capacity as, um, as a worker uh, is reduced. And because I had such, you know, I did like so much identity, like in my work, that was really, really hard. And I felt shameful about like not being able to work as much. But I think also it was challenging at times um, as a Christian no, we know God is a healer. I know, and I still believe that God is a healer. And pe people are praying for me, and I'm praying for others. And I'm just like, I just feel like, wow, a lot of people are getting healed, but God, what's wrong mm. with me? What am I doing wrong? Do I not have enough faith? Yeah, mm. it was just a very, um, yeah, it, it's been kind of a challenging time. Uh, and most recently, I feel like God took me to the root, the root of all roots of all this. Um, and it was simply the shame of being born. You might wonder, what do you mean shame of being born? So um, I didn't connect these two together. It wasn't like I don't remember these things. But um, yeah, I think growing up, I was told that, uh, and I say this with utmost care and like respect for my parents, uh, yeah, like I said, we're not perfect people. So um, this is what happens. It's just, I'm just telling it as it is. Is it that, yeah, I was almost aborted because I wasn't planned. 
and you know, they probably said it most of the time when, like, they were really proud of me. I was doing something, you know, at school, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, you know, what if we didn't have you? What would have happened?" But I think in my head, I was like, "Well, what if I'm bad? What if I'm not doing great?" And I think the child in me must have carried that deep inside, without me knowing, just going, "Man." Now, my life is about justifying my existence. I, yeah, everything I did in all the extremes were probably because I was like, I need to prove that I was worth being born. And oh, when this came up, it was so hard. It was so challenging. And I was just like, oh, I don't even want to get into this. But I also realized that this was the most freeing realization. Wow. That's heavy. I didn't even knew this was coming, and that's heavy. Well, I'm so thankful that you did see a counselor who helped you begin to process this deep, deep shame from several sources. And I'm grateful for that counselor, but otherwise, besides the counselor, many were you alone. I think part of this deals like, we have to figure this out alone, even if we have a counselor to see, like, were you alone otherwise? Um, no, thankfully. But, you know, I did try doing it alone because I mentioned that I like to hide and, you know, be in my isolation. But I couldn't because you wouldn't let me. <laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs> I mean, actually, yeah, true story. So Pastor Ben, Pastor Lindsay, uh, this was fall of 2013. So this was before, right, I was a part of staff, staff at Epic. Uh, yeah, I was attending, I was serving, just like so many of you. And I was even surprised that I was like on the radar. Uh, so this was like 10 months into my lifelong back saga. A lot of you are very familiar with. Um, yeah, I'm like the back lady now. Uh, yeah, I just got so tired of it. And I physically couldn't like go to... Yeah, come to church for weeks at that point. I was like barely getting through my previous job. And one day I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I got to go somewhere. I got to disappear. Because I'm like, well, I, yeah, I haven't been to church. I haven't been serving. Well, I shouldn't go that back there. And I even told my boss at that time, my previous job, like, yeah, I don't know when I'm coming back. I mean, it's crazy. Like, shame makes you just, like, not care mm. about your future or what you're doing. Mm. So, anyway, I went somewhere. I couldn't go far because of my back, but, like, I just wanted to disappear from San Francisco. And I had my phone off most of the time. And, but then I'll turn it on because I have to check it. And then I would, like, see these text messages, Facebook messages, voicemails from both you and Lindsay. <laughs> And I'm like, ah, what's going on? <laughs> Why are these people after me? And, you know, um, Ruthie taught us a few weeks ago about the God that comes for us, the community that comes for us. So although I was a little freaked out a bit, <laughs> I think deep inside I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. Like someone's coming after me. Until then, I was pushed away. Or when I pushed people away, yeah, people didn't want to come for me. So I started feeling something shifted in me. I was like, wow, I belong somewhere. And when you do life with other people, I guess I'm supposed to tell people where I'm going. 
She has an ankle bracelet now, <laughs> so that we always, always know. <laughs> yeah, so over the past almost 10 years of my life at Epic, I mean, there's so many more instances I can go on, but, and I know that many of you have actually experienced something like this. And if you haven't yet, hold on. It is bound to happen as long as you do life with the community and with God. The overarching theme throughout all of this was that God uses his people to reverse our past bad beliefs and plant new good ones. This community showed me that, number one, yeah, someone will come to me. I'm not shamed when I fail. I'm actually encouraged and build back up. How else would I be here right now? And what's shameful to me, like my health or my singleness, wow, I can use that. God will use that to encourage others in our community who are going through similar things. Well, well, you know, God definitely uses his people. But he also, I mean, one of the things we always talk about is we need to have this thing going on with God and this thing going on with each other. So God does, as you pointed out, he uses people, but he also does something alone, right, in us and and with us. What is he revealing to you now on this journey out of shame and towards freedom? Yes, you know, we say God never stops working, and we sing it a lot these days, too. Yeah, he really doesn't stop working. And I think when we ask and say to the Lord, like, God, yeah, take my life, you know, I'm yours. We don't even know what we're even like saying. And he's just like, yeah, you're mine. I'm going to do a good work in you. And yeah, he's done so much, but I want to highlight something he's uh, helped me realize very recently. This was January, February. And in January, I had a yet another health episode and I couldn't work for more than like, I don't know, two hours or three hours a day for like a month and a half or so. It just took longer than I expected. Everything did. Um, yeah, so it really made me want to just really like, this time I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening again. I just can't work anymore. Like, I don't deserve to work anymore because I can't even like carry my weight. And I even had this conversation with you about like, I don't know why I'm still here. Find somebody healthier and better to do my job. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with having stress. <laughs> Glad she's still here. And yeah, I was having, I was having a shame storm, like Pastor Will mentioned a few weeks ago. It's just like Job. I was like cursing the day I was born. And I was like, Lord, wow. do I have to live like this? I'm tired. I'm just tired. This keeps happening. And I heard this whisper, it was gentle yet firm. And I could hear Jesus saying, hey, you, you act as if I never died on the cross. You know, your shame died there too. And, you know, I was like, where is that coming from? And immediately, like, I was like, oh, wait, where's that phrase? Uh, I, I thought of this fr phrase, like, scorn and shame, right? I'm like, oh, wait, wait, where is that? Oh, I think it's in Hebrews. I know, like, 10 years of Bible reading, and this is all I got, but thankfully there's technology, so I was like, oh, where is this verse? I Google it. And, yeah, it was Hebrews 12, 2. And, yeah, I started reading it very slowly. So I want to invite you all who are watching to read it with me. Let's do some reading comprehension, perhaps. 
It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, there's that phrase, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So why did Jesus endure the cross? It says, for the joy set before him. Now, here's what the Passion Translation says. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered his humiliation. So what was the joy set before him? It was me. It was you. It was you. And when I read that, I, you know, I just had this visual of Jesus is on the cross and in front of him, I was there. And he was smiling at me, although he's hanging on the cross in agony. And I'm like receiving that. Like I could just picture myself just receiving his smile. He's saying, yeah, you're my joy. And when I saw that in my mind, the heaviness I was feeling and that, that just hate over myself. I mean, this is a strong word, but that is how I felt. It started just like dissipating. And I was just like, oh my gosh, all this time I... I've been saying, like, yes, my, my sins are forgiven on the cross because Jesus died for me, but I didn't bother to think that my shame died there, too, because shame was birthed when sin entered the world. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, I, yeah, I, I want to. I want to be free from the shame. And, you know, it's like, it's like all these thoughts in my head. It's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, it, you know, I'm, no, I'm no mistake. I, I'm not somebody's questionable birth. Like, I'm Jesus's joy. And if you ever wonder why you were born or what happened after you were born, this just all dies right here on the cross. Jesus says, I'm your joy. I love you. Yeah, and we have access to this truth because the talk of shame is going to come up in, my, uh, come up in our sure. minds repeatedly. Yeah. Now I have access to this truth. Jesus died on the cross. Shame died here. Game over. There's no, there's no room for shame. And that's when I was like, wow, Romans 8.1, therefore there's no condemnation in those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's true. There is no condemnation. There is no room. And whenever the scary faces or the mean voices come up, yeah, they all melt and are shattered right here. That is so powerful. Um, many of you titled this teaching, The God Who Reparents Me. And when she shared just the title with me before I saw any of the notes, I thought that is a statement in and of itself. And I think I know what you're getting at, but what does it mean for you, for me, for us to be reparented by God? Yeah, I say God reparents us, reparents me because... Yeah, he is a perfect parent, number one. And his old, like my old narratives are being replaced um, with his truth and his loving kindness uh, and just like words of delight. And I want to encourage all the parents right now. Hey, I know we're all, yeah, human, so we're imperfect and we're going to make mistakes. But yeah, God is always going to cover what you're going to fall short of. Um, yeah, so I encourage you to, yeah, be reparented by God. 
be repent, reparented by the father and parent out of that. Yeah, there are some narratives that are definitely changing. Where I used to be told that, hey, I'm a girl, I should stay quiet. God says, you're a leader, and I want you to speak. Just like I am now, which is hard to believe. And where I used to be told, like, where there's something wrong with my thinking. God says, hey, we have the mind of Christ. When we are in Jesus, we have his mind. Imagine living out of that. I mean, I feel like it's not only changing me, but the trajectory of my life is changing. And yeah, and every day, I mean, it goes up and down, don't get me wrong, but I am able to live in God's freedom more and more. And I'm realizing that, wow, like I'm changing, my behaviors are changing. And I mentioned some of the behaviors of shame earlier, but yeah, I have some new behavior symptoms of being shame-free or shame-freer. And yeah, some of them are, yeah, when people ask me now if I need anything, when I'm not feeling well, I can actually say, yeah, you know, I'd love some soup. It's because something in me somehow can receive that love and help from my dear friends. I think I have more acceptance um, over like where I am now and who I am now. So when I'm not feeling well physically and if something happens, I'm no longer like shaming myself going, you failed again, Minnie, to like have this perfect health. Um, I can just say, yeah, this is how I feel today. I still can do what I can do. And then I rest and wait for healing. And yeah, I'm so grateful that I have less of that critical talk to myself. Therefore, I can be more compassionate and understanding towards others. And as God is showing me that we're all imperfect, yeah, I can forgive easily. And that is so freeing. Well, God is speaking through you to so many people right now. And I know we're about done, but any last thoughts that you want to leave us with on this powerful, powerful message that you've shared. Yeah, so we started this talk with Psalm 139.14, and I'm going to read it again, probably like in a different light. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Last week you taught us that, yeah, shame keeps us self-absorbed. So back in the day when I was reading this, I was just thinking about me. But if I read this carefully nowadays, I'm the one being made and there is a maker. So this is not about me. It's about God. And if you actually read the entire chapter, if not like verses 13 to 16, you'll see that David, who wrote this, is just gushing about God, what God did. He's like just adoring God for all that he's done and how he created him and, and, and just knew his life from day one, even before day one. So, you know, we talk about loving ourselves these days a lot, but you know what I'm learning? When we adore our maker, we can actually adore ourselves like really easily, mm-hmm. but it's never the other way around. It's good. So this verse and Romans 8.1, I really, really pray that these verses will come alive in your heart today, maybe tomorrow or any day, and it will be God's perfect timing. I would love to close us in prayer.
God, you are the perfect parent. And we thank you that you so desire to father us. You made yourself available to us through the cross. You helped us know that we can go to you at all times and at any time. Lord, we need to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Let your truth move the shame out of all of us so that we can live in your freedom, Lord. You know, I want to invite all of you to, yeah, maybe just picture yourself before the Father, sitting before the cross, and just see the way he looks at you. And maybe you want to even ask, Lord, is there something you want to tell me? Something maybe I've never heard before? That, you, that if I hear it, that it'll break something in me that, that was just holding me down. And say, Lord, I want to be reparented by you. Show me. Speak to me. Lord, we're here before you. We love you and we receive your joy over us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco. 